I want to ask, in your life, is Jesus in the shadows? In your life, just now, is Jesus in the shadows? If you are, let's say, not a Christian, are you perhaps at this point in your life, you're kind of intrigued as you come along to church, interested in, in all this talk of Jesus, all this talk of the gospel, but up until this point, is Jesus kind of only remained someone who's kind of in the darkness a little bit? Is he for you just a silhouette? Or perhaps if you're a Christian this morning, maybe it's the same for you. You know, maybe there were times in your life, is that the case? Times in your life where you recognized and you saw Jesus clearly. You know, times in your life where you, you, you recognized your Savior with, with joy, but now that's different. Something's changed and almost within you, it's as though Christ has kind of retreated a little bit, retreated into the and into the shadows of your life. Is that is that where you are this morning? Well, friends, the main purpose of this book that we're studying together at London City Presbyterian Church, Mark's Gospel, the main purpose of this book is to illuminate the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark wants step by step as he goes through this gospel to cast light upon his God, his Savior. So I hope you see what we... What we hope happens in here this morning. That God would do just that. That in here, just now, in the preaching of his word, that there would be a work of the Holy Spirit. And that God himself this morning might cast light upon the person and cast light upon the person. The work of Jesus. And... This morning, look what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the healing of a, a paralytic man. So I would invite you, if you've got a Bible there, to please turn to that, to turn to Mark chapter 2 and have that open in front of you. And uh, let's consider, first of all, some determined witness to Jesus. Some determined witness to Jesus. Now, if you are here last week, you remember that we... We left Jesus uh, out in the lonely places. Do you remember that? Uh, he had healed that leper, hadn't he? And this had an, attracted an immense amount of attention, and it, it all sort of led to Jesus having to go out into the wilderness. You remember that? Now, as we come into Mark chapter 2, uh, what we see is Jesus actually returned from that wilderness and come into Capernaum, and it's a return that kind of almost inevitably, I suppose, it causes a bit of a stir in that town, doesn't it? Jesus returned to Capernaum. Now, a few months ago, Brad Bittner, um, he came to speak to our 20s and 30s group up at our house in the Manson Woodford Green, and I have never seen anything like it. Uh, there were too many people... <laughs> Meeting. Uh, there really were too many people there. Uh, we can imagine there's people sort of bunched together on the couch, and there's people sitting on the arms of the chair, and there's people all crammed together on the floor. And poor Brad is sort of squeezed into one corner as he's given this talk, and there's people falling out into the hallway. 
too many people there. Isn't that what we're dealing with here in Capernaum? Isn't it? We've got, in Mark 2, a multitude of people, and they're all trying to squeeze into this house. Now, almost as a sort of side note here, we should know that, that very often in Mark's gospel, when there is a picture of a crowd, it represents passivity or inactivity. Do you see what I mean? You know, if Mark shows us a crowd, it kind of represents people who are or maybe a little bit interested, just like here in that house where they're listening to Jesus preach. They're interested, but they're not really responding as they should with repentance and belief, okay? So you've got this You've got this crowd here squeezing into, into, this, into this house. But really the kind of story revolves around a quartet, doesn't it? You've got four men here, and they are trying to bring their sick companion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is the um, incredible effort. It is the amazing application that those four men show that I, that I want us to focus on. You see it? See, what I th- think we've got to understand is that these Palestinian houses that we're dealing with this morning, they were really quite simple affairs. Like, what's that guy from Grand Rapids called? Uh, Kevin MacLeod. I don't think Kevin MacLeod would be all too enamored with these, these sort of Palestinian houses. I don't think he would be. Because basically, this Palestinian house that you're picturing today, it's just a box. And it's got one door, and it'll have an external staircase leading up to the roof. So do you see the problem for these four men? They can't get in. Like the crowd is, is blocking the way here. So what do they do? They pick up the stretcher, the four of them, and they go up that external staircase and they go up. They're on the roof. Now don't make a mistake here. A lot of people think, oh well that roof, it must have been a kind of flimsy affair in this story. Oh it wasn't. Now see roofs in the first century they were frequently in use, weren't they? You know that story in Acts chapter 10, don't you? Where Peter gets a vision from God. You know it, where he sees the animals and he sees the sheep descend from heaven. Where is he when he gets it? He's on a roof, frequently in use. These things were solidly constructed. Wooden beams, you know, thick, thick thatch. When we begin to appreciate that, isn't it incredible what we're reading in Mark chapter 2? See what the guys do? They start breaking in, out maybe with implements and tools, and they're, they're making a hole. Do you see how big it is? Big enough to get a man lying in a stretcher through this hole. And they lower their friend to Christ. Now, I know, I know that this is a familiar story to many of you. It is, isn't it? I mean, isn't this one of the first stories that we teach our children, especially in Sunday school, you know, the healing of the paralyzed man. What is the application of, of this part of it to, to us in here? Well, I ask you this. Are you a Christian this morning? If so, do you see that what you have got in front of you in Mark chapter 2 is an illustration of the principal calling that God has placed upon your life. You see that these four men in Jesus, this is a picture from God for you of the chief task 
you and I, as Christians, what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be consistently, constantly bringing sick people to Jesus. Do you see that? If you do see that, do you also see God's message here in Mark chapter 2? He is saying that very, very often, bringing people to Christ, it is hard. That it involves a great degree of effort. Isn't that the message of Mark chapter 2? But isn't that something that the Christian community, and we in here at London City Presbyterian Church, are losing sight of? Just the, the strain and the effort and the application that's required in Christian witness. In, in preparation for this morning's sermon, um, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about my own conversion, own salvation, um, and in particular the role that my mum, my, my mother played in that conversion. And in many ways, she did Mark chapter 2. Um, she taught me the gospel from a very, very early age. Something only now with my own children I'm seeing wasn't easy. That's hard. And she, on a daily basis, would wrestle with God in prayer for my soul. And she coped with the hard times, of which there were many, and on the night of my salvation, in pointing me to the cross, what did she do? What did she do? She lowered a sick man to the feet of Jesus. Friends, do you see it in Mark chapter 2, just how much effort is sometimes needed in it? evangelism and witnessing for Jesus Christ. Sometimes, look at this, it takes blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes you and I are going to be faced with obstructions of what? Passivity. Inactive. Sometimes you and I are going to have to dig through roofs. But what I would love for you to see is that it's worth it. I mean, isn't it worth it? To, to share with someone who is sick where they can be healed, to tell them about the goodness of the gospel, to take someone who is in dire need and to leave them at the feet of Jesus for him, him, the Lord of glory, to do his saving work. Isn't it worth it? Friends, this morning I say to you, let us learn from this quartet of Capernaum. Let us change our approach to witnessing to Christ, to evangelism. Do you know what? Sometimes a passing word just will not suffice. Let's be people who labor at these things and labor at them for Jesus. So we see some determined witness for, or some determined witness to Jesus. Secondly, Note here that we see the unique authority of Jesus. The unique authority of Jesus. You might disagree with this. Don't disagree with it just now. Disagree with it later. Um, but surely it's not too much of a, a jump here to suggest that there would have been a, a moment of suspense in that house. You know what I'm saying? Like you can picture the scene that was left at 
There's now this big <laughs> gaping hole in the ceiling, isn't there? And there's now there's four guys up there, uh, and they're looking down. And there's now this uh, paralytic man at the feet of Jesus. Do you see the moment of suspense? Like everyone in that room is looking to Jesus and asking, what, what, what is he going to do here? What is he going to do next? Now, what we've seen over the last few weeks is that Jesus has done a lot of surprising things already in Capernaum, hasn't he? But despite that, I don't think that anyone in that Palestinian house there would have expected what he goes on to say at this point. Do you see what it is? He declares that man's sin, sin, forgiven. So I'm asking you, do you see how sort of unusual, do you see how sort of surprising that is or not? Like all these people, they're, they're expecting maybe for him to rebuke these guys. They're expecting Jesus maybe to heal this man. But I mean, he, what's he talking about? He talks about sin. I mean, isn't that a sort of, isn't, isn't that a tangent? Isn't that almost irrelevant to what is going on here? Why is he talking about sin? Do you see what's going on? At that point, Jesus is showing everyone in that house, this man's greatest need. Isn't that what's happening? Like all of those people, they think this man's need is, is surely to be able to walk. He's a paralytic. And Jesus is showing them, no, that's temporal. That is absolutely passing. And this man is condemned. This man is lost. He must be reconciled to God. Now, do you see how negatively uh, Jesus' declaration about sin is met here? Like if you're sort of visualizing this, you'll see that there's in front of Jesus as he teaches and preaches. Who have you got? Can you see it? You've got uh, the scribes and the teachers of the law. And these guys at this point are absolutely raging, aren't they? You know, they're saying, how dare he? How dare he talk about forgiven sin? This is blasphemy. And what I, what I need you to think about and realize that is that in some ways they have almost, almost got a point. See, what do we know? We know that in the Old Testament, that uh, God very often delegated power, didn't he? Like prophets in the Old Testament, they would, they would speak in God's name, or kings as well in the Old Testament. They would sometimes rule in, in, in God's name and God's power. But here's the deal. Don't you see that sin was always different, wasn't it? Sin was always different. Only God could forgive sin. Only God could do it. And now here is Jesus in this house, and he's claiming that authority for himself. Now, how would you expect Jesus to, to react to this situation? He, we're told he knows what they're thinking. He knows they're opposing him. What would you expect? You would maybe expect Jesus to rebuke these scribes and call them a brood of vipers or something. I ask you, what does he do? Isn't that amazing what he does? He heals the paralytic. Why? He does it to prove that he is not lying. Isn't the most gracious act? He heals this poor paralytic man. Why? Because 
to show that this claim of authority, that it wasn't false, that he has power, great power, that he did have the power to declare sin forgiven. Now, friends, I have to ask you, do you see the relevance of this section to your life? See, if I'm honest with you, I think that what, what God is doing this morning for many people at London City Presbyterian Church is he is bringing a message to you and to your door this morning. That he is just now showing you in this text, not just a man, but your greatest need. But I wonder, did you recognize that when you came into church this morning? Like maybe you came into church this morning, came through the doors, and for you, and you're thinking your greatest need, your greatest problem is the health situation that you go through, or your greatest need, your greatest problem was the financial situation, or that relationship breakdown, or your employment circumstance, and you saw that as your greatest need. I wonder now in the Holy Spirit of God, do you see that that is not the case? Do you see now that unless you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are eternally separated from the love of God? Do you see? That is your greatest need. And if you, if you recognize that, do you not see from Mark chapter 2 the only one who can, who can solve that problem for you? I, I want to say this, and it might sound very strange, but I cannot do that. Like, like no pastor or no minister, no priest can do anything about your sin. See that? And I want to say this, and this is the hard one for us to hear, isn't it? You cannot do anything about your sin. Like, no matter how much you're trying to clean up your life just now, clean it up and sort it out and stop doing these things and no matter how many changes you're making, don't you see, you cannot do anything about your sin. And so in the face of that, do you see the good news of, of Mark chapter 2? This one can. This Jesus that, that we preach in here, this Jesus that we lift up in here, this Jesus that we love in here, he is the only one who can cleanse you from your sin. Why? Do you see it? He is God. He is God incarnate. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that gives him the authority this morning to offer you forgiveness of sin. Do you want that? I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to hear from God the same words that that paralytic man would have heard in that house? What words? Your sins are forgiven. What words? Your sins eternally are forgiven. Friend, if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you pray to him even now in repentance, those very words, they can be changed for you. So praise God, we see the unique authority of Jesus. Thirdly and lastly, we see here an authenticating walk for Jesus an authenticating walk of Jesus. Um, many, many years ago, when I left school, 
one of the first things that I did was apply for a job in a local estate agent. And I got an interview. I was kind of surprised at. And uh, I went along for the interview and I got <laughs> to near the end of the interview, or what I thought was near the end of the interview. And the guy interviewing me says to me, okay, uh, okay, Andy, thanks very much for answering those questions. Now it's time for your test. Now it's time for your exam. And uh, I kind of scratched my head a wee bit. And uh, it turned out that as part of this interview process, that I had to sit a spelling test. And, uh, yeah. Now, at the time, I'll, I'll, I'll not kid you, I was kind of taken aback by this. But with hindsight, I kind of almost see what they were up to. You can see it, can't you? Like, despite the fact that I'd handed in my qualifications, they wanted to test those qualifications. Yeah? You know? Like, it was one thing for me to sort of claim, okay, I can spell. But they wanted some sort of evidence. They wanted some sort of proof that, that this, this was true. Now wait. That's what we're seeing here, isn't it? We are seeing this healing of the paralytic man that it's what? That it is evidence. It was proof of the power, the authority that Jesus had to forgive sin. Aren't we? Now, we get that. What I want you to see is the lesson that is in this for you. So again, I say to you, are you a Christian? Listen to me. Your life, your Christian walk, it exists to be what? Evidence. It exists to be proof of the saving power of Jesus. Do you see that? Did you get that? Let me say it another way. The way that you live as a believer, the way that you walk as a Christian, it exists to authenticate, you know, to point to, to validate the power that Christ has to forgive sin. Isn't that an amazing thought? Isn't it? That the way that we live, that it can point people to the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has. But the question that we then ask is, well, how? How am I supposed to point to? How am I supposed to live? Well, what about this guy? What about this healed man? What does he do? Have a look at it in verse 11. What does he do? He obeys the words of God. Isn't that it? In verse 11, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, rise, pick up your mat, and go. And it is emphasized in the text that there is just obedience. What does a guy do, we're told? Well, he does it. He rises, he picks up his mat, and he goes. We obey the word of God. What else did he do? Well, look at this. The way that this man walks out of this Palestinian house is also emphasized. Look at verse 12. He walks out in full view of everyone. I love that. ESV says he walks out before them all. Do you see the lesson in that? Your God says to you this morning, doesn't he? Let your light shine before all men. Do you see the message? We do not obey God in the silence of our life. We don't obey God in the secret things. We obey him openly. We obey God in the workplace. We obey God amongst our friends. Do you see it? We do this. 
We walk proudly as people who are transformed by Christ. And friends, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you that we do that this week, that even these seven days ahead of us, that we allow Christ to work in us and transform us. Because is this not true? That we all have our varying paralysis, don't we? The paralysis of our, of our characters and the paralysis of our broken relationships and the paralysis even sometimes of our addictions. This week, allow God to, to change that, to work in us, to heal us. Why? So that we walk for him. So we walk and the people around us like here are amazed that we walk for Jesus. And like here, the people around us, they quite simply glorify God. Friends, I'll end with this. Are you seeing the Lord Jesus Christ more clearly this morning? Do you see that he and he alone has the authority to declare sin forgiven? Is he, is he stepping out of the shadows and into the light? Friends, if so, you praise him. Praise him. Because understand this. One day, every one of us in this room is going to see him. One day, he is going to come in the clouds and every eye is going to behold our saviour. Until that day comes, let us bring sick people to the feet of Jesus. Let us walk in his ways that he might be glorified. Because he's coming. What's going to happen on that day? Ready? For all the earth to hear. Such is his authority that for you, his people, what is he going to do? He is going to declare our sin forgiven. Let's pray.